0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football podcast for Wednesday, June 7th. John McKechnie, Mario Puig hanging out with you. We've got a lot to get to today on the show. We're going to get into the latest with DeAndre Hopkins. We're going to get into some roundtable rankings here at RotoWire. Mario was an entrant in that. He's a combatant in the cage match that is the RotoWire PPR rankings. Also going to get some ADP buy or sell over on Underdog. So a lot to get to here. Let's start the show. Pokemon In. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Circa, John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you. We have yet to be replaced by Baby Gronk in our day to day jobs. That day is coming, I'm sure, but for now, we continue to pod.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping to not learn any more about that whole thing. This Baby Gronk, whatever's going on there thing. I thought for for like most of yesterday before looking closer at whatever that was, uh, I thought everybody was freaking out about how that guy in that TikTok video was so just horrifying-looking and freakish and like you know something that should be banned, banished from this world. And I was like, oh, that—that's uh, his name must be Baby Gronk or something. Uh, but so yeah, the, the that was bad. And then it, to learn that there's also this like uh, borderline like child abuse kind of storyline going with it, I was like, oh wow, that is bad too. Um, but yeah, I, I still think the the, the guy is worse the the guy is bad the
1: whole thing uh just kind of it, it was what you get those reminders especially like the the older that you get that that you are completely um out of touch with with uh with pop popular culture and uh that that was really a moment for me where it's like I,
2: i'm online a lot and even that was yeah i think this is hard to fathom this is like a mark of dissent that uh Nothing nothing is like doing well down here. Like there's there's no one that there's nothing that's like accustomed to or, or was was uh grown here and, and is well suited to it. It's like we've just been pulled into this, just uh yeah, like the abyss has like swallowed us basically and we're just um falling endlessly and there's this you know, we're falling down it and as you're following this this phone with the the baby gronk guy uh TikTok account falls and catches up with you and it, you can't get away from it it just falls with you for ever and that's that's the world now it, it's
1: reached its terminal velocity you're you're at there at the same point um i know our physics heads good luck up to there. that we're, kid we're, we're, though i'm sure yeah. that's gonna
2: turn out fine
1: it always does there there has never been a scholarship offered to someone who's still in grade school that um that hasn't turned
2: out to be you know a high the child star type. thing always turns out so well so why not like Throw a CTE enhancer on that one. Like, Hollywood that kid. Yeah. yeah. But speaking of abysses, let's talk about the Tennessee
1: Titans because DeAndre Hopkins is visiting there. That's a segue, folks. Um, but DeAndre Hopkins, we talked about him a lot last week and uh, the Titans uh, were not brought up in that discussion. Uh, but they obviously, you, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there. It, it feels like Vrabel is a guy who doesn't, Want to go through the entire, like, you know, one in 16 type of tank year. So they, they, they're, he's going to try to get them to be competitive. And he, he has some pull in that front office, obviously, uh, has some experience working with Hopkins f- before from from the Houston days. Um, and, you know, frankly, when you look at the Titans' depth chart, I mean, this is why I've been getting so much Chigokonkwo in bulk is like, there, there's nothing really that, that's, nailed down i mean Traylon burks like you can you can see the potential for a year two breakout but probably better suited to have a veteran being the actual leader of that receiver room as opposed to burks who again hasn't broken out just yet and then you got what uh nick westbrook akina and uh last year kyle phillips. kyle phillips the uh the the darling of, of training camp days uh last year i don't know did that work out well? I don't. I don't he had uh, he much. had
2: like six targets in his first thirty snaps, and that that was when you knew he was a star. I'm not sure what happened after that, though. Okay, all right. So
1: we'll we'll just take that opening sample as the gospel and and um, continue on from there. But either way, Hopkins would obviously improve uh, that receiver room. Have you been able to to look in and and see like is this a feasible thing for the Titans? I mean, obviously they're they're not going to be bringing him bringing him in if they don't think that they can sign him whatsoever, but cap-wise, are are they legitimate players in this?
2: I assume they could restructure Ryan Tannehill, who's preposterously uh, scheduled to hit for $36.6 million. Uh, otherwise, there was that report about them trying to get Kevin Bayard to take a restructure. He's at $19.6 million. So So uh, they could get some cap relief through restructuring and uh, I guess according to over the cap, they're right under 8 million in cap space right now. So uh, I don't know. I I don't know why they would have any sort of like angle on the competition as far as offering pay other than, you know, being willing to, I guess, go over a certain number that the other teams aren't. But um, it seems to me like the chiefs, whoever really, could just even the bills i guess uh, could just as easily get in and match whatever number the titans can can put up so i'm not sure what hopkins is looking for at this point uh, it's possible that the the chiefs and the bills and you know pretty much therefore everyone are not offering all that much money which is weird to me at least not in the bills case i, I to be fair i think in the bills case it, it would be smart to kind of not really pursue hopkins in my opinion but the the Chiefs it's like come on you have Pat Mahomes if you, if you have DeAndre Hopkins available even if it's like at the end of his career just sign him you know just, just sign him because you, you have the cap space do you not just sign him and uh, they seem to be instead doing this thing where they're like aha actually it, it's it's uh, the, the returns on projected wins over replacement start to dwindle after uh, 12 million dollars annual expense and it's like something like that. And it's like just stop it. You have Mahomes here. While you have Mahomes, have players like DeAndre Hopkins on the team too. It's simple as that. Just 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 choose to have players like DeAndre Hopkins on your team if you can make it if it is as simple as that choice. And and it is right now. So uh the Bills, I understand them not putting up money. The Chiefs, I don't understand. And uh it looks like Hopkins might kinda of, like kind of go uh, you know, in theory, some sort of competition angle of like you know, he, he's not going to sign with some team that he thinks is going to go one in 16 this year. But it seems like he's kind of willing to tempt that outcome a little bit in exchange for a certain dollar figure. And I, I have no idea how to guess where that's going to, you know, where, where that's going to intersect at.
1: Right. Cause, cause, you know, generally, if you're getting paid what you are to, to be in Arizona and, you, and then, you know, the, the release happens uh, before June 1st. You kind of just figured that going to another bad team was just off the table, and that that's why teams like the um, like the Bills, like the Chiefs, like the and Ravens. he
2: named contenders, like he specifically right. said contender teams. So, um, yeah, he seemed to give up on that whole part of it pretty quick, and uh, I guess one can has to wonder, I guess, how serious he ever was about it, and if he wasn't very serious, then yeah, why not the Texans? Why not the Titans? Who cares? The Texans would be kind of sick because I, I've I've noticed that
1: I've accumulated a decent amount of CJ Stroud in, in the old portfolio, uh, and that having Hopkins instead of Nico Collins uh, would would help. Yeah,
2: I was thinking. Uh, I was actually just looking at Robert Woods uh, yesterday, and uh, that's not going to work, in my opinion. I didn't I didn't notice. Like I knew it was bad uh, not to go back to the Titans, kind of. But I I did not notice how particularly bad Robert Woods was last year, like relative to uh, the overall completion percentage and and uh, tar- yards per target that the Titans put up. Woods was like way below that baseline, and that that's just that's that's something that you never like to see. That's that's kind of like you know stick a fork in him kind of point. Yeah, yeah, and
1: that that's what like it, you know when when you end up. Uh, on on the Texans in the year 2023. It, it's sort of reminiscent... Uh, I watch a lot of baseball. It's sort of reminiscent of like, oh, I thought that guy was out of baseball. He's on the A's now. Okay, n- now I get it. So, the difference
2: like, is that the Texans are actually paying Woods quite a lot. Like They're stuck with him for two years because they're, they're paying uh-oh. him just like way too much. Uh, so that's kind of funny. But I guess maybe there's some kind of case to be made for like culture signings. I don't know. But usually... Usually the culture guy is on the field and not just like totally killing you when he is. So I we'll see. Because you know, like it's
1: one thing to to be below the baseline of an NFL offense, but like it's not like the the Titans had a particularly high bar to be. Oh no, last year. No. So
2: yeah, it's 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 brutal, and it's one of those things. Like he he had a just disaster game almost every single week like there there was there was like twenty good snaps that he had, and the rest was just one hundred percent like if it weren't for this guy's his name and how much he's getting paid, he would have been cut after the game. no questions asked right, yeah, and and we would have more and That's the Texans are going to make and the Texans are going to try to make him the number one receiver, so I, I'm sure it'll happen for like a month because they they again kind of have to do it because they're paying him so much, but uh that'll be that um but yeah to go to to go so. Uh, Hopkins, in my opinion, would be a huge upgrade over Robert Woods. I think Collins and um, Mechie are both better than Woods at this point, too. So uh, I am low on Dell. I'm high on Hutchinson, obviously, but that one, it looks like it's going to take a while at at best. So uh, Hopkins, in my opinion, would step in and kind of just push aside Woods, be way better than Woods. In the Titans case... That just sucks. I mean, that would that would be terrible Uh, because he's he's got nothing to do there, nothing good, you know. Like he's he can take basically the role that would have gone to Traylon Burks, while not really doing the the same things that Burks can do. Like Hopkins is not a yards after the catch guy. Hopkins is not uh, even though Burks is not like a a fly route guy for for the most part. Hopkins is less. Of one yet, so you're you're forfeiting a bit of a vertical element going from Hopkins to Burks, and yeah, you're probably gaining something in terms of like moving the chains, but i I just don't know how much that's worth really and uh yeah it would it would it basically ruin Burks's fantasy season it would i I guess it, it might not affect a conquo that much just because they'll you know be running at literally different positions, but it would make it would make like a zero sum game between burks and hopkins where neither one turns out very good yeah so that that's definitely a concern so so keep an
1: eye um obviously on on what's going on with with uh that uh kind of surprise uh meeting all, all things uh considered um before we get on over to talk uh some of uh, the roundtable rankings i uh, got a
0: message from our friends over at blue wire
1: All right Mario, let's fire this up. So, uh earlier this week, um a group of our experts, uh so Mario being among them, uh Jerry Donna and Jim Coventry, um also on this list and Jeff Erickson as well. Um so everyone put together their top what? 150 Mario?
2: Yeah, it actually entailed us making a top 300 to account for every possible uh player, you know, some some of them uh, like it's like runoff voting kind of thing, but from the bottom up. Uh, so, yeah, we had to, we had to go way over 150, even though with, with displays on the site is 150.
1: OK, so that yeah, that that's so that's a, a heavy lift that, that uh, each of you guys did. Um, and I, I want to kick things off. I've been I've been starting to get more Chargers exposure. I definitely have a, a, a lot more Chargers over on DraftKings than, than I do on, on Underdog, at least thus far and i i find myself getting mike williams i, I like where he's going at, at adp over on underdog and, and on DraftKings. um but the, i noticed that there was a, a decent spread not not just with with you having him ranked the highest but um with him also being ranked 72nd by by one of uh, our rankers as well um so composite uh ranking of 47 but you have mike williams just inside uh, the top two rounds at at uh, 23rd overall. So your thoughts or your uh, reasoning there.
2: So I have Williams ahead of Keenan Allen, and I, I think Williams kind of took over Keenan Allen's perch last year. I know they run from different uh, positions in the offense, but Williams had 93 targets on 680 snaps last year. So that was even more, uh, that's like a, a better rate yet than 129 on 851 the prior year. So we got two years of really rapid per snap target rates with Williams. And we got him putting up 8.9 yards per target two years ago, 9.6 last year in a season where Herbert really struggled with his peripherals. Like uh Herbert, uh, so that that here, let me just pull this up here. Uh what I was talking about with Robert Woods and his per target numbers relative to the Titans baseline being so awful, being so much worse than their already bad uh, team baseline with Mike Williams, it was the total opposite last year. Like he, so they caught 70.6% uh, of their targets at 7.0 yards per target. And Mike Williams caught slightly less of the team baseline and catch percentage, but still very high over two thirds at 67.7. And the yards per target was 96 so 2.6 more yards per target than the team baseline easily accounts for being uh, three percentage points less than the catch rate, especially since his catch rate was, again, very high uh, just in, in general at over two thirds. So uh, he, he basically was playing great last year. It, I think if he hadn't gotten hurt, he would be going in the first two rounds in a lot of drafts, especially like on DraftKings best ball with you know, three receiver PPR kind of stuff uh he's he's like a candidate to be a top five receiver in a format like that, and that's even if you don't project any uh better luck with touchdowns, which i you know i don't know what I really think of williams i don't think Williams is that great or anything, but I think he can do better than four touchdowns and sixty three catches like last year so admittedly the durability has not been great, and like the, there's a plenty good case a person could make like you know you shouldn't be projecting him staying healthy he never has, but if he does then you know, he'll he'll be on a lot of cashing teams, I think. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, with best ball, uh, you know, you
1: you're collecting his weeks where he qualifies for your starting lineup. And if he does that, you know, twelve to fourteen times, then you know, you you've done well. And, you know, if uh you know, if injuries kind of wipe him out for for a couple of the of those other weeks notwithstanding, then, you know, so be it. You just, you know, draft accordingly. You you know that Uh, There's a bit of durability risk, but the upside is huge. And I I think, I I guess I I wanted to know if if this was a statement on your thoughts of the Chargers offense as a whole taking a step forward this year in in light of uh, Kellen Moore coming in.
2: Well, it's honestly not something that I've factored into the rankings at all, but it it would not turn for the worse if I had. You know, it's not like I would lower, if anything, I would raise Williams. I might raise all of them really, but I, I guess, you know, if I had to think about the difference between Lombardi and Kellen Moore and what that means for the structure of the Chargers offense and you know how the how that distributes the usage for the players within that structure. I think that might sooner help Williams than hurt him. I think it would hurt Keenan Allen the most cuz Keenan Allen, while very good, you know, extremely good at what he does, what he's been doing, they've given some of his usage, usage I think out of kind of like a desperate necessity, like they kind of uh Herbert would have so many of these games where he's throwing like 47 passes for 230 yards and Allen in those games would have like you know 14 targets for 58 yards on 11 catches and stuff like that and that's like him doing a good job in bad circumstances but Kellen Moore could could change the circumstances and put like just put a, put a better more sensible arrangement on the field and it's like if the Chargers had their first or second choice if they had more ability to dictate on offense, would they have thrown those same 14 targets to Keenan Allen in that scenario? I, I don't really think so. So uh, I don't think I don't think like I don't think Mike Williams is like some kind of alpha receiver or anything. But Keenan Allen being at the point in his career that he is, I think just kind of sets up just just the you know general way careers tend to go uh, at the points in time that these two respectively are at. It just seems to me like Williams is going to take the lead there. And if Kellen Moore is throwing more downfield, which he almost necessarily has to, I don't think he could throw more underneath than Lombardi did. Uh, if it's going downfield, I think that almost categorically is at the expense of Allen and maybe Eckler a little bit, even I, I think so,
1: too. Like, uh, I could see Eckler's target share getting trimmed a little bit. He's obviously going to still be very effective on, on the per-target basis, but I think a healthy offense, especially one with Justin Herbert at the helm, it needs to push the ball downfield.
2: Yeah, it's absurd. Like, he's a top-three downfield passer who does it less than anyone, or had been under Lombardi. And it's like, that's, that's just one of those things, like, he, there is no defense. Whatever, whatever justification, whatever excuse you think you have, it doesn't work. You're just being like stubbornly ridiculous. Throw the ball downfield. Thank. I mean, like it, it's just like keeping
1: keeping the Ferrari in the in the garage and just letting it collect dust or something. Like let Justin Herbert throw the ball. Like make the make the most out of his physical uh, tools. And and again, like like you said, that probably behooves someone like Mike Williams. And it's why I have like a ton of Quentin Johnston. Like I, I wasn't like I, I didn't have him extremely high. Like I had him as a first rounder, of course, but. Um, I definitely liked some of the other first round prospects a little bit more, but I thought the landing spot marriage with with him and, and the chargers, it seemed, it seems perfect.
2: Yeah. I think they'll make things harder on themselves. The longer they try to, or the more time they try to take to implement Quentin Johnson, like they should just put Palmer on the bench, like day one, just don't even, don't even really don't make this look like a competition. It need not be just, just put Palmer on the bench. That's where he belongs. Get Johnson on the field. If Johnson's not running the drill quite as good as Palmer today, like, well, no crap. He's a rookie. The other one is not. Of course, the one who's done it before should look better. That doesn't mean anything for November. It doesn't mean anything for even September. Just figure out who the best players you have are. Project, you know, where they're actually going to be at their development point. And if if it says, Johnson's going to be better this year at some point than Palmer, then your job is to make that happen as soon as possible. And so I can imagine them doing something stupid, though, where they're like giving... You know, Johnston, 25 snaps for the first month and Palmer, 25 snaps. No, just give all of them to Johnston because what Johnston does and that they didn't have all this time is like the vertical element, someone who can run a good post route basically and especially off play action. So uh, I can imagine some people getting lower on Mike Williams because the Chargers drafted Johnston and they're they're thinking like, well, Johnston, you know, he's got to take from somebody it might be Williams and I get it, but I think because he'll operate at a different depth of the field it's not going to work quite that way. And and like you were speaking before about how the the overall health of the Chargers offense clearly wasn't very good. It had to do, I think, with like the, not having the balance, not having the ability to, to to get usage in that part of the field where Johnston specifically can run, where they specifically couldn't before. So to me, it's it's like Johnston, there's a chance that he could take from Williams. But to me, that unhealthy usage was more so with, uh, not, not so unhealthy with Allen, but more than it should have been uh, more than it should have been with Eckler and especially Palmer and especially Everett and they they also had a bunch of targets going to like to DeAndre Carter last year just all these wasted like, Michael Bandy there's there's plenty of room for for, for Johnston to make an impact and, and for Williams to maintain his momentum I think yeah no I I completely
1: agree like the some of the cats that are running out there last year like. I, in a very deep league, I, I started DeAndre Carter like more than once. Um, so,
2: and that was like that was their good one, you know. They, they they really were putting out bandy and like Jason Moore. Unbelievable how how bad that. Uh, what's a Telesco? That GM for the Chargers. that t- to not accidentally find better backup receivers than that over like seven years or whatever it's been. Just just wild. Give that man an
1: extension, Tommy T. Um, let's. Stick with receivers. Uh, let, let's go uh, to the team that the Chargers wilted against in the postseason last year. That's the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley up at 16. No one else has him higher than 36. Explain.
2: Uh, I suppose that what I'm not doing, that everyone else is doing, is, is exercising some caution over both the time off, from the suspension and the, the technical uncertainty of going to a new team. And to me, it's just that uh, it, sure it's a new team, but if the old team is, you know, end phase, Matt Ryan, uh, just totally in the tank Falcons as they were. I, I just can't see that. As, it's only possibly a positive to me. And, and as it were, I think it's actually a big positive. I think a player like Calvin Ridley teaming up with a player like Trevor Lawrence is the kind of, um, it's like an inevitable sort of thing at that point where they don't need to have their 99th percentile outcome to still be one of the best quarterback receiver tandems in the league, and so it's to me' it's as simple as that, and uh, I, like I was, I'm a Christian Kirk advocate you know I thought uh, like I, I hate everything Trent Balky does, but I was defending that Christian Kirk signing uh, I, I, I still think it was a good signing as much as I thought Kirk was was underrated last year there's no Contest at all to me about who's better between the two. It's, it's it's Ridley clearly, and again I say that as someone who was who was higher on Kirk last year than most people were. So uh, I think where this is all headed to me is the Jags' offense is going to be really good, and Trevor Lawrence is going to be awesome. Uh, I think Zay Jones still goes at a pretty affordable price. Evan Ingram goes at an affordable price, but Calvin Ridley will be their clear wide receiver one. Like I think he's going over thirteen hundred yards. No questions asked. I don't. I don't even think that's like an aggressive projection for him. No, I. I don't either. Um. I, I guess just like see, like,
1: just having done as many best ball drafts as I have, like, I just see him always available end of the third round, mid, or at least like mid to late. I have way too third. many shares. I don't have. Tell. I don't have enough yet. Um. Because usually I'm. I'm really, really getting a lot of Ramondre Stevenson at, at that part uh, of the draft, mostly, but. Ridley, um, I'm definitely, I, I have some, just clearly not enough yet.
2: I could be a little, t- I mean, he's not exactly young. He's He's got to be pretty close to 30 already or something. Just, oh, he's 30 when he was a freshman at Alabama. He's he 30 when he was a freshman at Alabama. Yeah, so uh, he's got to be almost 30 by now. Uh, I think that uh, th- there it, there's reason for concern with that eventually, but we also have to remember where Calvin Ridley was starting out at. He wasn't just a good receiver. Before the suspension, he was, he was like one of the best of the decade. And it, I know it's not easy to appreciate, especially since he's had all this time off. But basically with Ridley, the, the reason you knew he was unique was because of not just the targets per snap that he would draw, but how he would draw targets per snap at high average depth of target. Like he'd be, he'd be drawing as many targets per snap as like, you know, like Amon Ross St. Brown or somebody like that at like six and a half average depth of target. And he'd be drawing that same target rate at like 14 yards depth of target. So he'd be drawing these pretty difficult routes and still be getting open, uh, you know, about as fast as Julio Jones was running whatever he was on the other side of the field. So that's not something you see very often. And I, I think it speaks to Ridley having innate, uncommon you know separation abilities as a route runner. And I think with Trevor Lawrence, it's it's gonna be, you know, pretty tough to stop. Yeah. Uh
1: he was yeah, pretty much special from the jump um, at, at Alabama as far as the the route running, the um, just the the craftiness. Um, what was concerned, so uh, seeing him with an ascending superstar as opposed to a, a uh, one that's fading into oblivion, the way that Matt Ryan was. Uh, yeah, that that's definitely um, exciting, uh, if, if nothing else. Um, Jags are
2: going to score a lot of points, and uh, also I, I'm getting a lot of Trevor. Uh, sorry, Travis Etienne uh, too, obviously. Got to. Got get
1: to. Uh, I've gotten some more ETN since our since our last conversation, but um, now, now I know I got to get a little more Ridley. Um, here's a toss-up in, in your rankings uh, that, that I think would be of interest to, to some people. Dobbins, one spot ahead of one Jameer Gibbs.
2: Yeah, so I hope that I'm not guilty of having like a like latent bias in that I took a ton of Gibbs, not a ton. I, I got a lot of Gibbs though, before the draft when he was going in like the sixth round. And I feel like I even got him in the seventh a couple times on a uh, underdog in their best ball contest. So uh, for me, I was, I was kind of like, Oh, I'd, I already got Gibbs. I don't, I don't even need to do that stuff. So I don't know if that led me to, to like dismiss him a little more easily than someone else might have, but I am a Gibbs fan. I was not trying to like find a reason to move past him. It's just, to me, Dobbins is—he has fewer questions about his role, I, or I think, uh, which which might be a little bit hasty to assume, given that I, that I also think there's plenty of evidence that Gus Edwards is pretty good. But the difference is, Dobbins is supposed to lead the Ravens and carries, whereas Gibbs is by design not supposed to lead the Lions and carries. Uh, he's he's supposed to trail David Montgomery by some. A decent number, and uh he could uh Gibbs could make up for that with pass catching work. And I, I think at some point in his career he will, it could be as soon as this year, especially with Jamison Williams suspended six games. Like, would it really be shocking if Jameer Gibbs had 36 catches in his first six games? I don't I don't think that would be surprising at all. However, uh, especially on uh, I don't know, it's it's like he might not finish as strong as he starts. That's that's a risk with any rookie. And if if you're if you're getting an escalated workload because the team's number one receiver is suspended six games, that's a, that's a good way to hit the rookie wall, like particularly clearly. So uh, I don't in any case consider it possible for, for uh, Gibbs to sort of lead it's possible, but not likely. I think that he leads the lines in rushing yardage. Um, whereas Dobbins, I would project to you know, easily have more than Lamar, even at this point, especially because I don't think they're going to run Lamar quite as much as I used to. And Dobbins to me is like a top eight running back talent. I don't know where I would put Gibbs. He's a different kind of player entirely. So it's not so easy to compare them, but I don't necessarily have Gibbs ranked higher overall, like in my head, uh, than I do Dobbins. Like I just, I think Dobbins is clearly a, a really uncommon sort of talent, like, a. So the kind of running back who could be top five over a 10 year span, something like that, and uh, that's that's a unique category to me that I think a lot of people don't recognize Dobbins for, and I, th- I think it's a mistake.
1: I think Dobbins, I, I think that they're part of the reason why uh, the, the ADP has been rather low on him and, and hasn't really moved a lot is I think just, it's going up a know, little
2: bit, by the way. I, I like, I feel like I, I'm having to actually. Look for him early in drafts. Like I get, to, I used to get to the sixth round and just be like, "Time to take Dobbins," and like I, I pretty much always would. And now I'm like, "Where the hell is Dobbins?" Oh my God, someone took him at fifty.
1: Yeah, that's true. He he does go in the in the uh, the fifties now. So now now you kind of have this nice little cluster where like you have Mixon, you have Dobbins, you have Miles Sanders, like all those guys uh, that I'm comfortable taking, especially at that that stage of the draft. But um, my point on Dobbins was I, I think that there there's some sour grapes from the people that were overly optimistic about his return last year. And then it goes poorly. What once he comes back in week three, sits out for another what like six games and then over the final stretch of the regular season and the postseason he averaged 6.6 yards per carry with a couple of 120 yard games in there against both both the Steelers and uh, the Browns in both of those and neither of those were, he eclipsed 15 uh, carries.
2: Yeah. He didn't look like himself either. So he's at like 80% and still putting up over five and a half yards per carry. I, I don't know how he does that. If not for just, maybe there was some kind of, you know, fluky, not look exactly. Would you call it given how bad the circumstances were? But maybe, maybe that same scenario, he, he averages more like 4.5 yards per carry in that same sample, but fine. Like he, he clearly wasn't himself. And I don't know how he produces like he did last year, unless it's just further evidence that he's clearly an uncommonly good runner. Like, I I don't know. I don't, I feel like, I feel like Dobbins hasn't had enough extended exposure and doesn't so easily uh, resemble somebody established for people to kind of like see it with him the way they should. But I, I really do think that if people just watched him more, they would start to kind of just chatter about like, Oh, Hey, I didn't know he, could do stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, you've, you've basically forgotten who he was or like never looked in the first place. So you never learned in the first place. Uh, but if he stays healthy, everyone's going to know. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think that offense is going to reach a much better level
1: uh, th- this coming season. And and I'm, I am sold that the Dobbins really is, um, you know, a, a, one of the better just pure running back talents in the league. And now that he's another year removed from from the knee injury, um, and again, showed that flourish at the end of last year that he still has that in the tank, and maybe there's room for more. Um, And I think the offensive line is looking good going into this year. Ronnie Stanley hopefully being uh, a little bit closer to his all-pro form. Uh, You got, I don't know, uh, you got Kevin Zeitler, you got uh, Linderbaum, So things should be better as far as that that entire offense in general. And uh, yeah, I feel like it's just a little bit undersold on Dobbins right now. But I I do agree with you uh, that that I like him over Gibbs uh, this year straight up. Uh, Before we get on to our next uh, group of rankings, uh, we're going to get to a couple of tight ends here. We got a message from our friends over at Circa. The Ultimate Fantasy Football Draft can only take place in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the Ultimate Fantasy Football Experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at a cabana at Stadium Swim. Plus, limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sportsbook, and more. A prize package valued at over 8 thousand dollars. There's no better place to draft than circa. 21 and up, go to circolosvegas.com for more information. Again, that's circolosvegas.com for more information. Go ahead, get yourself that ultimate fantasy football draft. All right, Mario. Mark Andrews is a guy who tends to go in mid third round generally. You have him at 47. What
2: gives? Well, I think as much as I I do believe that Andrews is really good, I also think that his usage share, his target share of the Baltimore offense was slightly informed by uh, just an unhealthy structure that Greg Roman had built that kind of created a bit of a funnel toward that sort of big slot, tight end position that Andrews would play when he was healthy. And then when you saw Andrews get hurt, there were a couple times that likely plugged into the exact role and this is the, in any other game likely um, or almost all other games where Andrews was healthy likely could not do anything at all and then when Andrews left the field it was just like pretty much same returns right there uh, that's not me saying likely can do what Andrews can I, I actually think it's very much not the case I think Andrews is like the real deal and likely is um, just kind of a backup but I do think that there's going to be uh instead of so much going to Andrews all the time to the point that he's like their wide receiver one, I think the wide receivers are going to play more like wide receivers in the and offense. And I don't know what to think of. I actually don't like either uh, the signing of Beckham or the draft pick of Zay flowers, but I think Bateman's clearly really good. Uh, if he stays healthy, I think he's going wait. It's, it's funny to me that he's going later. Than uh, Flowers in the ADP most places, like Bateman is clearly a better player in my opinion. But um, anyway, and Flowers is already like it yeah, is a classic Ravens thing. But Flowers like already like
1: has, has a small tweak. It wouldn't say what, but he's
2: yeah. I mean, he'll probably be fine. I mean, it, anybody can get hurt, I guess, including Bateman coming back from the, the Liz Frank thing. But it's it seems like he's okay. Uh, he's had more time to come back from it, for instance, than Marquise Brown did. Marquise Brown played 14 games his rookie year, so. Uh, anyway, I, I think, so you think back over the past three or four years or whatever, think of how many reps on the field were like Willie Sneed or Demarcus Robinson or Miles Boykin. And like those are plays where the ball is just not, or, or last year to Prochet too. Oh my God. Uh, so like these, these snaps where Lamar Jackson's dropping back to pass, but you basically know the ball is not going to those guys. It's, it's, Not going to Andrews entirely out of forced necessity, but it's not entirely, you know, on the basis of merit either. Like, because those other receivers just cannot draw a target. So, there there are
1: like multiple colleges running out better uh, receiving cores last year than the Ravens
2: were. Yeah. Or or, like the year Lamar won MVP, his number one receiver was Willie Sneed. Like, that's just insane. Uh, Anyway, I think, I think as much as that's a product partially of bad GM work too. That's also Roman having such a goofy set of uh tasks in his offense that it's like it's like last year. They had they had all offseason to try to get whoever at receiver. Who cares? They get into the season after final cuts of the Raiders. They get DeMarcus Robinson and just like install him as their, their leading snap uh recipient at receiver just like after like four days of practice. It's like there's no way that he really learned an offense as much as there's one stupid little thing he's supposed to do every snap and uh, he's better at it than these other guys. And that's why he's on the field because the task is not to get open and draw a target. It's to do whatever stupid little thing Romans play structure asked for. And so like, that's, that's what the the, the distribution of targets would be based on. And now it won't be now it's going to be monkin with these like varied dynamic designs of how to free up, all the pass catchers at all levels of the field. And um, I think Andrews could still come out to be their lead target guy. Uh, he he raked at Oklahoma before he raked at Baltimore. So it's not like he just got there and, and started benefiting from the system or anything. But before there was so much just forced dependency and I, I don't see that anymore. So it, particularly if Beckham and Bateman stay healthy, I think it'll be tough. Uh, on the other hand, maybe maybe Lamar Jackson throws for enough more yards than in past seasons that Andrews keeps the same volume, even though uh, he doesn't keep the same target share percentage Uh, that that could be on the table. And maybe I was too quick to uh, skip that possibility, but I do think the share, the target share percentage is going down for Andrews.
1: Yeah, it it probably needs to, Uh, like you said, there, there was sort of a forced element slash like a, you know, the, the Roman offense would, would, you know, deal a lot in, in like deception, but it's just like, okay, that's a fancy way of telling us that you're throwing it to Mark Andrews again. Like they're they're like the the end result. It was always the same trick. It just looked a little bit uh, different. Um, so there was a chasm between his 2021 and 2022 yards per target, almost nine in 21, and then it dropped down to seven and a half last year. And obviously, like some of that has to do with Tyler Huntley coming in, but. If you had your druthers, this offense gets better as a whole uh, with the new system in place, a healthy Lamar Jackson. Could we see Mark Andrews have the, the smaller target share, but the efficiency jump back up to you know
2: around where it was two years ago? Yeah, that's usually the trade-off. So particularly when you have so much reason to believe that the player in question is is good, which we do with Andrews, then if there is a decline in target rate, then it will likely be somewhat offset by improved yards per target. And uh, I guess maybe even touchdown percentage, depending on kind of like what part of the field he's getting the targets compared to in the past. I don't know, but I'm not worried about Andrew having a bad year or anything. That's it's more like I don't have any shares of his in best ball because I always have to pass up some receiver who I just like can't bear to uh that that's just like me I can't get over it at the time and so I, I never end up with Andrews but I wish I you know would at some point I am,
1: I almost never get Andrews solo like if I'm going down that path I'm double tapping Lamar and and Mark Andrews but
2: like a, as like a solo that's getting entity, tougher to do by the way It is cuz Lamar yeah, I don't know why like what do people think was going to happen like Lamar was going to sit out the season or like move to receiver or something like is they, anyway, anyway he's going up like two full rounds higher than he was before the draft you could get him in like the late 5th early 6th i, I want to say even a couple times before the draft and now i've seen him go in the third round a handful of times which is where you, you normally have to get andrews right so so again that that makes that stack a little
1: bit tr- maybe the the ship um has sailed on on being able to to pair uh those two um we you know, we, we've been known as a Kyle Pitts podcast, Um, and we don't shy away from that. Um, But I, I've been interested to, to kind of hear your thoughts on him for this year. Obviously, last year didn't go particularly well, but he's still young, super talented. Offense hopefully will be better. We'll see under, under Desmond Ritter. Um, but you ended up ranking Pitts at 51, so... As a early fifth round uh, type of guy, I, no one else was like super far off from you. Um, that they just viewed him as more of a sixth round guy. Um, but have you been getting pits um, in the uh, in that particular range of the draft in the in the fifth? Um, and you know what? What's sort of the, the rationale, the expectation on him that this coming season?
2: So, I am still uh, kind of like you were hinting at. I'm still. Huge pitts fan, I'm not dissuaded in the least uh, last year did not go like I hoped it would that, that's that's certainly true however, bad as it was, his peripheral indicators are still just unambiguously really good, and I know that that might be the kind of thing that that makes someone you know a more more film kind of based evaluator be really like, what what the hell are you talking about? These, these, you're looking at your, you know, nerd calculators too much. If you think that it was awful, I saw it. It was terrible. And it's just one of those cases where I think you're just going to have to trust me in the meantime, or, or really anyone who, maybe baseball fans, baseball analysts can tell people with football how this works. It's like when, when certain peripheral numbers stay, you know, the w- peripheral numbers that tend to have trade-offs between each other, when they reach certain levels, uh, they, they, they have certain... Not certainties that come with them, but eventual likelihoods that come with them to the point that it's just exceedingly unlikely that, uh, you know, that, this, that this predicted event never occurs. And in this case, with Kyle Pitts, the predicted event kind of already happened. His rookie year was already insanely good. It's not like he needs to prove himself. He already has. But... Uh, the the result would have been an even better version of the rookie season, and specifically, I'm talking like the target rate per snap, uh, the air yardage per snap. Even I don't even know how this is possible. Maybe I should double check to make sure his route count is logging. Okay, all the routes, all the targets are being logged in the game log on his player page for the Wire uh, uh, for Kyle road Wire Wire page. And even with just 6.0 yards per target, even with a catch rate of 47.5, which is insanely bad in both cases, especially the catch rate. Kyle Pitts was still averaging 86 percentile yards per route run. So what when you look at that, that's to, to go back to kind of like the baseball uh, example of how the stats uh, interact with each other kind of and trade off. With Kyle Pitts averaging 1.72 yards per route run, 86 percentile, While he's catch while his catch rate cannot possibly be lower and his yards per target likely cannot possibly be lower too, that's like seeing a guy who... In, in baseball, it's like yeah, maybe he's maybe he's only averaging, uh, maybe his average is only like 240 at the moment. But he's a career 300 hitter, and his batting average on balls in play is clearly like 80 points. It's 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 only like six weeks into the year, and it's his batting average on balls in play is like 80 points lower than it is for his career and the previous year. What almost always happens, assuming there's not sort of like physical decline or something like that, there, or an injury that could explain it, is those numbers correct? And so the correction in this case with Pitts is something like, well, okay, horrible season, big disappointment, fantasy bust. Yes, all true. What happens? Do you think though, if this same sample occurs, if he just catches 55% of his targets, not a high number, mind you, that would still be well below average. It's like, that's, that's taking his yards per route run, maybe to first in the league, just right there. Just like a measly eight catch percentage points on a starting from a figure that could not possibly be lower. So, uh, don't get me wrong, it, it's it would be hasty to take pits ahead of like Mark Andrews or something like that, but I still think Pitts will be the best tight end in the league sometime very soon. And, uh, yeah, last that's last year does not dissuade me in the least on that. Yeah, I, I'm basically like I'm not
1: getting Hawkinson and I'm not really getting much Hawkinson's a trap. Hawkinson's yeah. such a trap. Yeah. So I feel like the, 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 in reality, like there, there's a chance that Pitts ends up as the number three tight end this year or something. Like it, I don't think that that's that crazy. And again, like it, we just need we need him to just incrementally get like a little bit better, which we, you know talent skill wise, like we think it is completely within that realm of possibility. And even if other stuff is going sideways, maybe if Atlanta's offense like isn't perfect, like Pitts. He can do some. He can do things that you know pretty much no other tight end can, and I think we're gonna we're gonna see it. I think our our faith and our belief is, is going to be rewarded this year, and and we don't even have to take him in the third round to, to you know get the most out of it like we did last year.
2: Yeah, I believe he's he's not that he falls very far. It seems like there's plenty of people who have kind of kept the faith. Um, however, many people have have uh, bowed out of, of the Kyle Pitts bidding. It's not enough for him to fall past the sixth, and I want to say even like the early sixth is where I tend to have to take him. Maybe that's wrong, but uh, I I do. I want to be invested in Kyle Pitts this year, and I do have a decent number of shares already. I'm um, at a certain point, I'll have to, you know, if I get up over like forty percent or something, maybe I'll have to get it lower again. But uh, right now, Kyle Pitts is maybe my favorite tight end to draft. Yeah. I, I like that call.
1: And again, you know, like he, he falls in the, in this range where, you know, some of the other players, you know, you got your Michael Pittmans, you got
2: Alexander Madison went, went. Uh, this was, this was See, a top such like a drop too. off, don't you think? It's like, why do you, yes. like if, if, I know Pitts is unlikely to be uh, top two or three at tight end, but what are the odds of that Pittman in an offense that might have like the fifth fewest pass attempts in the league? What are the odds of him being a top 20 receiver? It doesn't, that doesn't seem likely to me. I don't know. Uh, Madison could get a, t- a ton of work, so maybe maybe he would be the kind of player worth taking over uh, someone like Pitts. But it's like when I'm, when I'm down to like, I feel like sometimes you got to choose between like Pitts and like the Deontay Johnsons of the draft. And It's like, why the hell? Why would I not take Pitts here? Well, that, that's actually a good uh,
1: jumping off point. Um, let, let's get to a couple of ADP buyer sells just because uh, I feel like we've peppered Ah, uh, your rankings enough? We can always uh, come back to it uh, wh- whenever uh, your updated version drops later this summer. Um, but couple uh, ADP buyer by, by sales uh, as we round out the show, and I do want to start with with Deontay Johnson. Uh, you wrote in your uh, breakouts column about George Pickens. I, you know, just st- stamp of approval coming for me. You can see the the G behind me. I freaking love George Pickens, but. Um, when it comes to Deontay Johnson, I feel like just our our years on on uh, on media together, I, I've just never been a Deontay Johnson guy. Um, but do you feel like last year, you know, our vindication of, of him not actually being that good and being dependent on 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 the offense uh, to to really produce? Do you think it bounces back a little bit this year to where you would take him at at, at his new ADP?
2: Well. I do think he's more interesting now, now that he doesn't cost as much as he used to. But it's also looking worse for him than it used to. It was, it was tough for me to hold uh, the hate line. Uh, oh yeah, there's John some when, tough when he times. was he had he had three hundred and thirteen targets in thirty one games, and I'm you know that admittedly that had me sweating a little bit. I was like, man, that yards per target sure is low, and he sure does not catch many of those targets. But that's so many freaking targets oh crap this isn't going to work for me and um, he still even you know even though it was not helpful in real life terms he did have a hundred catches in 2021 20, in 16 games so uh, for fantasy he paid off but man uh, from day one or not day one like I, I let him have that um, second season 2020 that was that was when I started pulling the, the fraud alarm because he was getting all these targets yes And you know, target number goes up, PPR point number goes up. We don't, we're not really going to care about more than that normally. But you know, I was watching a lot of it, and I was was seeing these these catch rates, these these yards per target figures. And when you watch it too, it 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 wasn't a good product on the field. It's like the the PPR number goes up, but on the field, it's nothing's particularly good is happening. It's just eventually he will have highlight reel material because he's getting like fourteen targets. It reminded me like a lot of um
1: like a worse version of the Bucks offense with, with Godwin last year where, where like Brady was like, get, get, I think Brady can still play. And uh, I don't know that this is totally off topic, but I wouldn't be completely surprised if he comes back at some point. But, um, with Deontay, like the, the end game Roethlisberger was such like a hot potato. Like he, 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 he was just lit, like far and away leading the league in, in, um, L- lowest time from snap to throw like he he wanted nothing to do with that ball.
2: least like he, uh least movement after snap probably too ever probably oh, oh yeah just a, an absolute water buffalo uh especially later on
1: in his career but you know deontay johnson basically just won the 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 lottery ticket of
2: being the yeah, guy he'd just to, be chasing to those knuckleball right away yeah yeah he's just chasing those stupid knuckleball throws and it would be the same th- every time ben roethlisberger before the snap saw Single coverage on Deontay Johnson. He just catch that snap because he's never under center. He can He literally cannot take a snap and stand up successfully anymore. So he's yeah, like his pants will fly off. It'll be horrible. And so he's got to catch it out of the pistol. And he just does that one read, like just doing that one read. Just oh, it's single coverage on Deontay, knuckleball. And like, granted, a lot of those incomplete passes, even a lot of the drops that that Deontay Johnson was credited with, were really difficult. Uh, hospital ball type plays. And so I'm not even really blaming him, f- not just for the catch rate, let alone the drop rate spe- specifically. That was That's when more people started kind of hating is when the drop rate metric was starting to stabilize. And it was like, you didn't need to see the drop rate hit the red line or whatever to tell this wasn't working. You could tell it wasn't working in the first place because his catch rates were always lower than the team baseline, which was already unacceptably low. And so, which is just to say, yes, his usage was high, but it was unhealthy usage. It was usage that a bad offense does because it can't think of anything better to do. It's not good on its own. And so uh, introducing a player like Pickens is a really big problem for someone like Deontay Johnson, at least, you know, relative to his prior uh, per snap numbers, George Pickens is a problem because George Pickens is the real deal. And like Chris Godwin too, It's like, yeah, it was, it was an ugly offense, Unhealthy usage, I would even go so far as to say, but it was still above baseline. And it was still, it was still a, a plus, you know, plus war kind of situation with Godwin. With Deontay Johnson, it was always just negative war. And it, got a, it reached a low point, obviously, last year. Even I was shocked with 86 catches on 147 targets for 882 yards and no touchdowns. That's, that's pretty insane. Um, with that said, though, uh, the, the, whereas you know, in the other cases, I was talking about how the, when you have, like with Kyle Pitts, Number X, number Y, if they stay at these thresholds, then this third thing is likely to happen at some point. Someone could say, Well, if you apply that reasoning with Deontay Johnson, then you, you must believe he's going to bounce back then this year because last year was a low point, and you know the target rate was still high. He was so bad, and he has been so bad for three years that this is clearly a case of overexposure. His usage it, like it's happening, it's it's really happening. But it's not good that it's happening. And it's happening in such a way that the Steelers have reason when they're sitting around trying to figure out what went wrong. They have reason now to conclude too many targets went to Deontay Johnson. We need to get that number lower. And that's true. They need to get that number lower. And if Deontay Johnson were deployed as what he pretty much should have been all along, which is to say like a wide receiver two, maybe a wide receiver three even, that target rate when it goes down, his efficiency will improve. The the catch rate in the yards per target will improve because he's not going to be overexposed, getting one target per ten snaps. But he will be overexposed if they're trying to do this thing where he's getting one every six and a half snaps or whatever.
1: Yeah, it, it's just uh, too much. Just the the ultimate like empty calories. Um,
2: yeah, for, for fantasy Pointless.
1: essentially. So. Um, uh, uh, so I suppose final verdict for this one, even with the, the decreased cost, I mean, Pickens, like you do kind of have to pick between the two of them and I'm, I'm taking Pickens every time.
2: It's a little bit closer in PPR just because Pickens could have like 300 more yards than Deontay Johnson on 25 fewer catches, but, uh, that's, that's like a worst case kind of scenario and it, it only makes them closer. Uh, whereas I, th- I think in something like underdog half point PPR, certainly in standard scoring, that one's not even close for me. I'd rather have Pickens because point blank, projecting more yards and touchdowns with him. Yeah, no, I've full on as well. Um, let's see, how much pickings do I? I'd much have, rather right? have like so Deont uh, on uh, underdog Deontay Johnson's going right after Jordan Addison. I do not want to be the, the one with Deontay Johnson in that order. Is is the one holding a bag? Uh, nothing good in there either. I'd rather have Kadarius Tony at seventy point four at than uh, Deontay Johnson at seventy point three. Traylon Burks, particularly if DeAndre Hopkins does not sign, uh, with the Titans, those three receivers are rounds and rounds ahead of Deontay Johnson for me. Yeah, I have a, a ton of Addison. Um, so in the, in that part of the
1: draft, like I'm. Getting a lot of Addison pickings, uh, a little bit That's later. your rookie Clint of the Johnson. year, by the
2: way. I, I, I know it's. I guess all the heavy favorite is uh, is going to be on B. John Robinson, but uh, I, man, if, if if there's a if there's a dark horse, it has to be Addison. He's he's so good. He's going to be awesome. I'm I'm loving it. I'm uh, we're going
1: to Vegas in like a month and whew, gonna gonna try to plop down on that at the Circus Sportsbook. In fact, the world's largest. Um, according to the read and, and in my personal experience, I haven't seen a bigger one. So
2: I don't need, it sounds true to me. Yeah. He's,
1: I mean, he's muy grande, uh, over there, but, uh, let's, let's, uh, get a couple more here. Um, let's go, uh, maybe like the, uh, Louis Vuitton version of Deontay Johnson. That uh, fancy. Is that good? He's oh, it's fancy. good. Okay. He's fancy Deontay Johnson. Maybe. I'm not trying to trying to hate or, or you know influence this one way or the other, but Amon Ross St. Brown is going 14th on, on Underdog.
2: Is that good? So I think Amon Ross St. Brown is one of those picks who he's not going to hurt you, but there might be other players that go immediately before him, shortly after him, who might have more upside and. Uh, I guess depending on like how your portfolio splits up, what your goal in the current draft in question might be, uh, you'll have to kind of grapple with what the theoretical trade-off of less upside for more security, what that means to you. Uh, as far as that pick, I know I can safely say I prefer Garrett Wilson uh, with with Rogers with the Jets. I prefer Chris Olave, but I do have Amon Ra ahead of probably Jalen Waddell and with things with the Raiders that's getting so creepy that even I'm starting to worry about Devonte Adams now. I am too which is really annoying because I thought I wouldn't have to do that like before before this stuff about Jimmy Garoppolo's failed physical came out and just sort of the dumb way they handled the draft I was like well we already saw it with Stidham it'll be fine how bad can it get now I'm, now I'm opening up that case file again like wait how bad can it get do I really want to think about this and it's, it's and Stidham's not to. even there
1: to save him Stidum stems in Denver now, isn't
2: he? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's annoying. I, I had a good number of, uh, Adams even in like the top eight, I want to say. So even, even I, as a person who was taking him in the top 10 repeatedly, it's like at this new price of 13 or so, and maybe falling, uh, even I'm not there to be like, Oh, I'll buy it. I'm, I'm kind of afraid to actually. So, uh, anyway, as far as Amon Ra goes, he's, he's an interesting, totally solid pick. I just think th- that the upside is very much capped with him and uh, you're getting like a very low yield return. It's just that sometimes that's the right answer anyway. Sometimes the best option one is like a stable yield because everything else is a landmine and it's like he's not a landmine.
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, you, the, the old adage and we're mixing baseball metaphors in here left and I love right. Mixing so I mixing metaphors too much. I'm going for it again, but in the early... Rounds, you just don't want to strike out. You you want to hit a double,
2: right? It's true. So, yeah, you want to you want to hit a double, and I think Amon Ross St. Brown. It's like his worst days. He'll he'll uh, he, he'll he'll like still be getting on bait. He'll get walks instead of uh, singles and doubles or whatever. And then we get mad at OBP or we get mad at average as a category at that point.
1: He can be the Luis Arias. You see, he's hitting over 400. Good for him. Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand
2: how he does that.
1: I've, it's pretty cool. I don't know. Suspiciously high number. It's higher than like uh, pretty much everybody by yeah. a good margin. Um, let's see. Let's round it out one more. Debo, late third.
2: Uh, so I, I got to admit that. Um, if if I'm wrong about uh, Trey Lance having a shot at starting there, which apparently I am, uh, apparently they're just they just can't wait to do more of that 22 pass attempts per game offense. Uh, we'll see how that goes for them. As much as I, I thought like Lance would win that, I thought that would be at the expense of the whole passing game and especially Debo and Ayuk. I thought Kittle could get by a little bit just because um, he's in he's got less competition as a tight end basically. And if, if Kittle has 75 catches, that could be like the third highest in the league among tight ends. Whereas, uh, you know, Debo, a Debo and Ayuk have alarmingly close just per snap kind of numbers to Kittle in my opinion, in the first place. But there's also a lot more competition at receiver and Lance running as much as he would have, would have been bad for those receivers, including Debo as the one who's the most expensive of the two. So I was totally out on Debo before, uh, the more Purdy plays, the more, uh, I don't know, probably like by at
1: least. Do like you take two? anything from this Sam Darnold stuff? Or is it just Purdy can't throw uh, what it?
2: Is the, what is the latest Sam Darnold stuff? Uh, I hope I'm not misattributing, but I feel like
1: uh, Grant Cohn, who, who writes and covers uh, the 49ers, um, you know, a lot of suggesting that, you know, Darnold's getting a lot of work with the ones.
2: Um. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh. We don't know what the the health situation there is. It, I mean, Shanahan, in my opinion, is a is a consistently poor talent evaluator. So he doesn't need a reason to believe anything that he does because he often has none. Uh. But it would be still very weird if, for the first practices that, that they're holding as a team, he decides I like Darnold more than Lance, which is what people are kind of saying that takeaway is there if if Darnold took more reps with the ones then i think more than likely it's just because Shanahan had some goal other than evaluating them or something like it was like we want to get Darnold up to speed and it could also like stuff like that sometimes is explained by uh somebody just like having a bad ankle that day or something like that so uh it would be in any case more importantly it would be very weird for Shanahan to be like literally the first reps of practice of the year being like uh, let's just see Darnold because I want to get him ready because I, I just like him that much. I just know I like him that much more than Lance that I want to get Darnold ready in case we don't have Purdy. And it's like that doesn't particularly when they have an interest in kind of like playing up Lance to try to trade him. I, I don't know if there's much to take away from that. It, it's just it, you don't know enough about the details and we don't know enough about what Shanahan was trying to do with that. No, we, we don't. So I don't know.
1: The 49ers have been such an enigma that this offseason they're blowing four. it.
2: They're really blowing it. They're not, people haven't really felt safe to call them on this because they, I think they've been too recently successful and they, they have so many identifiably good players, but the 49ers are going to totally blow it. Uh, Shanahan, the, the wheels are going to fall off pretty soon. And I think this is finally it. This just, they're almost doing like the. Uh, it's like they're they're they bringing the same curse upon themselves that Texas A and M did, uh, shuffling between Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray and
1: Kenny uh, Trill. Yeah, the,
2: the other yeah, the, Kenny Hill, Kenny Trill. Uh, so it's it's just like you're you're shuffling the quarterbacks around to a basically like cynical extent. Like he's just you you can tell they're they're like they're they're starting Purdy or they're saying they're going to start Purdy on the basis of how he did last year uh almost as if like they can't be blamed that way if it goes wrong because like well look how much success he had it's like do you really believe that he was so good that he dictated that success and if so do you not feel the need to issue a retraction and apology for declaring Lance the starter over him in the preseason like if Purdy is so much better that you need not even have a competition about it now because it's so obvious what were you missing the first 3 months of the year you know stuff like that uh anyway to to, to go back to it I th- I think it's bad for Debo and Ayuk either way, but uh, not that I have any shares of Ayuk. but it's especially tough for Debo because he's so expensive. Uh, like basically you got to take him. People probably take him over Calvin Ridley. And it's like, Calvin Ridley's going to have, I don't know, 60 more catches than Samuel this year.
1: I haven't been getting much Samuel and I'm going to continue. Um, you know, I think that that's a good summation. Um, you know, it what 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 do you think the the monkey's paw would would look like if, if Shanahan never was able to like get that little taste of hubris, like making Nick Mullins or uh, Brock Purdy or CJ Beathard look
2: m- moderately competent, and and just going off of that? Well, he's I, 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 it's tough to know what Shanahan is thinking in general, but I I really do think he's almost looking at this whole thing as just like. Well, Purdy has those results. We can't be criticized if it goes wrong because like look at how look at how bailed out we are by like this evidence that we we have this that shields us and um in the past, it's like his hubris had norm- normally been more like, "I know so much more than everybody else. I can do this thing, and even though everybody says it's a bad idea or whatever, I'm not going to listen to these people about that. whereas in this case, it's almost like he's trying to like preemptively like uh. I don't know what you'd call. It. He's he's trying to like preemptively like gag himself, like out of fear of what he might, you know, l- be led to by his intuition if he let it actually lead him anywhere. Uh, it's like he's he's like trying to cut himself off in a way. Whereas like in the past, it would be m- uh, like at the very least they'd have to be like trading trade Lance and and going with the the seemingly cheap alternative. But instead, they're they're like billing. Purdy as as the the high dollar option, where it's more like, you know, this if if he were if he were doing something like I I I can do something that no one else can. I can make these these this Brock Purdy who isn't even very good. I know I can make him good like I did Nick Mullins, and uh, that would be hubris. Whereas like with this, it's like he's almost like trying to recuse himself. It's weird to me because uh, I, I I don't part of why I initially was holding the faith with Trey Lance getting named starter was that I think there, as much as I, I have criticisms about his talent evaluation, there's, there's obviously an enduring insight that Shanahan has. And like, he, he has the ability to anticipate football events in a way that he, he must be able to correctly describe them after the fact too. Like he must be able to look at that tape of that Seattle game and go like, well, I know he had 300 yards and three touchdowns, but he probably should have had like seven. You know, like he he should be able to look at that tape and see that for that fact, if he is as you know insightful as he is the rest of the time, which he is. But it's like in this case is like the one time Shanahan's looking at that box score just as the box score and like taking no curiosity about the contents of the plays, which was t-ball, and Purdy still screwed up a bunch of times anyway. So um, anyway, I, I I don't know whether it's like a you could say that if if Shanahan's like trying to defer to conventional wisdom by just sticking with Purdy, you could say that that marks like some sign of of growth with him that like uh, old Shanahan would have defied conventional wisdom and gone with his, you know, uh, experimental uh, youngster quarterback instead. And like maybe maybe he views it as a sign of growth to recuse himself from that temptation now. But I think it's wrong. I think, obviously, I think this, because I think even freaking Darnold is better than Purdy. So uh, obviously, I'm I'm not uh, I I'm I am the number one hater. It appears, even though I'm not like trying to be. (laughs) You know, just sometimes
1: it's the way it works out. You end up being a hater, just how it is. The biggest wound (laughs) in the (laughs) world. Um, but yeah, no that that's uh, it's a good little uh, breakdown psychoanalysis of uh of one Kyle Shanahan and how (laughs) it figured him out. (laughs) We did. We finally. Uh, we got to the bottom of it. But that's going to wrap it up for us here on on this edition of the Roto-Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors over at Blue Wire. Big thanks to uh, our friends over at Circa. Uh, one last thing, Mario. O's and Brewers are playing this week. Uh, who you got uh, winning the rest of the series? Brewers took game one on Tuesday night.
2: I haven't followed the Brewers that closely because I, I like rage quit after uh, Garrett Mitchell got hurt. But I'll say the Brewers because I, I don't know enough to know why not. Okay. I will say that the Orioles take these next two, but they're a little road weary right now. They've
1: been out in San Francisco. Now they're in Milwaukee. They're playing the Brewers A team. They ought to be able to win. They should, but they freaking blew it last night. Anyway, sign that we've gone on long enough. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.